Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle, it's John Lamoureux. Okay, I'm so excited for this week. It is a huge one for me. We're talking to one of the greatest guitarists ever, certainly of the 80s or the British alternative or whatever you want to say, certainly one of the most underrated. It is Echo and the Bunnymen's one and only Will Sargent. I have been trying to get Will on here for years because to me, he has the more interesting story. Yes, Ian McCullough is one of the great front men, arrogant, you know, tells it like it is, opinionated. You know where you stand with Ian. I had never heard in my life, to my knowledge, a long-form interview with Will. I didn't even know what his voice sounded like. I don't think I've ever even read read anything long-form on Will. So I wanted to be the guy that told that story. I think everyone knows those first four Echo albums are canon incredible. The fifth one, the self-titled one that comes out near the late 80s, that's a good one too. It feels a little bit kind of separate from those first four. The band, well, Ian leaves. He goes solo. The band kind of breaks up. They bring in a new lead singer for the Reverberation album, which I think is actually pretty good. And then it goes on hiatus until the end of the 90s when they come back together for Evergreen. In the meantime, Pete DeFridis, the uh, he dies. And uh, so there's a lot of turmoil there. But the band has been going strong ever since. And the band now is mostly just Will and Ian. And what's interesting about this conversation is that you'll find out Will doesn't feel quite as connected to the echo output of the last 20 years as he did the early stuff. I went into this thinking he's probably sick of talking about those early albums. He'll love that I know the latter stuff too, but that wasn't really the case. In fact, Will is so disarmingly humble and uh, self-effacing, soft-spoken. Uh, you would never guess. Never. I had no idea. I'm thinking Mac is arrogant and talkative and opinionated. Will's probably that way too. Not at all. This is one of the greatest guitarists of all time, folks. And we get to hear from him. I don't think this exists anywhere else. I hope you like this. I do. I love it. Uh, he called, oh, I wrote it down somewhere and I can't remember. Lancashire, I think. Anyway, out in the country in England. How long have you been doing these? Uh, coming up on six years. And okay. um, I, it's a weekly podcast. I talk to my favorite artists. And um, I have been trying to get you. I Forgive me for Twitter stalking you. I don't do that. But nobody's, nobody's informed me that you've been trying to get us for years. That's all I right. have emailed the band's website. 
I do it about every six months or so. And um, I, I always well go for you specifically because I was realizing, Will, I don't think I've ever even heard your speaking voice. I, you don't seem to do a lot of interviews. <laughs> yeah, well, you know why? Because whenever you do an interview, you just ask them a call-up question so you don't you never talk. <laughs> so it's like pointless. It's like they don't want to know my point of view on anything. So uh, and then when he says something, it becomes like, oh, the bunny men think this. Well, they don't <laughs> always. You know what I mean? Like a lot of the time, they don't agree with what he says. Right. Yeah. That's why specifically I wanted you because you're, I think, obviously one of the greatest guitarists ever, certainly of the, you know, British alternative uh, wave. And um, I thought, I don't even, I don't think I've ever read or heard a good informed conversation with Will. And so I want to be the guy who does that. Yeah, but- don't you listen to my radio show that I do? I didn't know about it until just recently. Yeah, we're going to get on that. It's, uh, I'm going to be doing another one soon. That's kind of like a podcast, but yeah. it's on, yeah. on mixed cloud. And, you know, I, I just do it because what I really like is playing records to people that they've never heard, you know, bands that they've never heard of. And then it's they the get you know, involved in that. Okay, let's see. So for starters, I you were touching on this earlier. It seems with your new sort of found Twitter presence... And the radio show, how long have you been doing the radio show? I don't even know. Oh, have you? Okay. Okay. Yeah, 13 episodes. I only do them when I feel, when I can be bothered. It's not like super regular, you know, it's not like every month I do one or whatever. It's when I can be asked to do it. Okay. And, uh, sometimes I just fancy doing it. And, I, you know, I enjoy doing it. It's that good, you know. Yeah. I just love turning people onto different music that they might not have heard, you know. Same. And I have a vast record collection and I love music. That's that's my main thing, you know, obviously. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, even beyond a guitarist, I'm more of a music collector, you know. Mm-hmm. That's kind of... And I like all kinds of stuff. Like, I like jazz folk, you know, mm-hmm. prog rock, punk rock. Sure. Everything, really, you know. I draw yeah. the line at country. You don't like country? <laughs> Not even old country like uh, Johnny uh, Cash? Yeah, I like Johnny Cash, and I like, you know, Hank Williams and stuff like that. But all this Garth Brooks and all that crap mm, is yeah. shocking. Yeah, that's when I lose interest. Me yeah, too. so, and that's kind of what it's become. Like, you know, I'll even delve into, a, you know, early hip-hop, you know, mm-hmm. disposable heroes of hypocrisy and public enemy, people like that, you know. Ah, there you go. I'm not, not loads of it, you know. I'm not yeah. a, a fish on it or anything. Okay. I was curious, too, about your art career. It, um, uh, you know, looking over your website, there's paintings. I know you post pictures of, like, photo collages that you do. Yeah. Um, have you always done that? Has that always been sort of a side hustle or even a just a, another outlet for you? It's another one of these chaotic things. It's not even like a hustle. It's like, you know, I, I don't promote it. I don't, you know, I'm pretty shit at all. I can't be. I like doing it. And it's, I've always done made art on the side and messed around with drawing and painting and collage and all that. You know, I've always done it since I was a, you know, a kid. But it was only like a, it was probably about 10 years ago that I thought I'll start doing this a bit more, you know, professionally, mm-hmm. if you like. Mm-hmm. And that's when I, I, I think I had like some sort of breakdown or something because I just started painting and painting in in my kitchen and there was paint all over the bloody place. And uh, it was a, a coping mechanism thing, really, you know. It was a bit of a tough time, you know. Like my wife got cancer and died and that. So oh, kind really? Of, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it was kind of like I, you know, I had to um, 
think of something to do that yeah. was kind of take me away from it a bit. Definitely. But it was just full on. You know, it was horrible. Wow. Yeah, so that's what that's started me doing it and it gave me something to do and kind of drove it a bit nuts. And yeah. I was definitely so it's it helped, you know, it helped. Yeah, good. Are you remarried now? I don't even know anything about you personally. No, just you? Yeah. I'm my kids. I've got two kids. Okay. They're, they're grown up like 27, 26, yeah. you know. Yeah. And do you live, are you still in Liverpool? Do you live in London? Where do you live? I've lived in Liverpool for 30 odd years. Oh, okay. No, and I, need, like, I only really lived in Liverpool for three or four years. You know, really? Like, was out on the outskirts of Liverpool. Uh-huh. It's kind of where, to me, I was sort of, it's where, it's changed a bit now, my village. It's been built up a bit and there's a lot more houses there. But when I was a kid, it was kind of where Liverpool ended and the countryside began. And mm-hmm. we were the bit where, the, you know, it's farms, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Then it go off into like Lancashire. And like, when I was a kid, Liverpool was in Lancashire. It wasn't Merseyside, mm-hmm. you know. It was, they changed the boundaries and the, it was the seventies, you know, started they invented this county called Merseyside. Mm-hmm. So it was all Lancashire, really, where I grew up. Where I live now is Lancashire, you know. Oh, okay. It's just a bit, just okay. a bit up the coast. Okay. It's not far from Liverpool. It's like an hour, forty-five okay. minutes. I get it. I lived in Cambridge briefly back in nineteen ninety-one for about a year. My dad's job what? took us over there. Oh, in in England. Yeah. East, yeah. East, yeah. 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 I lived in England for, yeah, we lived in England for, I was, I don't know, nine months, something like that. It was right after I graduated from high school and then, uh, and then I left, didn't last very long, but I'm still friends with a lot of the people. Were you going to the university? Well, um, I went to sixth form for a little bit. So I'm, I'm from Salt Lake city, Utah, and I grew up Mormon and you've seen the Mormon missionaries out there with their black name tags and ties and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. And um, when we moved, more, I've been the big tabernacle place there. Oh yeah, the temple yeah. in Salt yeah, Lake. Yeah. When you're when you're 18, 19 years old, you start deciding whether you want to go on one of those missions. And it yeah. was shortly after I moved to England that I decided I wanted to do one. And so I went to sixth form until I decided to go, and then there was no point in going anymore after that. So I hung around Cambridge with my family for. A few months and then I left in early 1992 for my two-year mission. In fact, it's funny this came up. I wasn't going to mention this, but when you go on one of those missions, you're not allowed to listen to secular music or watch movies or TV or read books or anything like that. It's all full religion. One of the sweetest moments, I will never forget how happy this one moment made me. I was over at somebody's house for dinner and they had kids who were around our same age and there was a radio on and Lips Like Sugar came on the radio. She floats like a swan Grace on the water Lips like sugar Lips like sugar Just when you think you've caught her to cross the water She calls for you tonight To share this new life You float down the river She laughs and you 
and it's always been one of my favorite songs anyway. But the, it was the most delicious experience because it had been years of no not being able to listen to any secular music and hear one of my favorite songs of all time came on the radio in Muskegon, Michigan. And it, I've never been so happy to hear a song as I was in that moment, hearing Lips Like Sugar. I will never forget that. It's all you, Will. It's all you. Yeah, well, um, yeah. I, okay, so here, I have so many questions for you and there are so many songs that I wanna ask you about specifically and stuff like that. I've even been debating where to begin. Well, let me finish up one thought. You and your, you and the artistry that you have separate from the band, I didn't know until getting ready to talk to you, I'd never heard of Themes for Grind. I really like that album. What was that? Before the Bunny Man, I was I was sort of making my own tapes as well, and you know, it was just into music. So it was that, and I was like heavily influenced by a lot of like you know Kraftwerk and Brian Eno and all that stuff. I loved Roxy music and loved Brian Eno and had all his solo records. And I just started, uh, you know, I was fascinated by tape recorders, so I started recording stuff and. Recording it on it. I bought a reel to reel from the, you had these things called a catalog. I don't know where they have them in America where you can pay weekly for things. So I had this tape recorder and then I'd record on cassettes and then back onto the tape recorder and then back to, and I did a thing called sound on sound. So you could record on a couple of channels and mm. bounce it over to the other two and all this sort of stuff. And it was all very primitive, but you know, I, I just like doing stuff like that. I, lo I loved experimenting with sound and music and noises and you know what happened was there was a our lighting man at the time was a bloke called bill butt and he went on to to, to uh, direct all the have you ever heard of the band klf yeah of course yeah, mm -hmm. he did all the klf videos but he was our lighting man at first you know and he was a friend of bill drummond's you know from klf and everything but it was before they did all that you know it's like in the early 80s and he did our lights and stuff, but he was also into making films and he wanted to be a filmmaker. And he did, he had this idea for a film called Grind. Mm. And it was like this sort of strange character. It was based on somebody they knew called Mike, but it was a strange character that lived in, in a little, you know, derelict house somewhere. And it, it just appeared. Nobody knew where he came from. He just sort of appeared. They didn't know whether he was an alien or what. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he, he, used, he worked in a factory. And he had, he'd watched the TV. He had a portable TV 
and a generator, you know, like a, a motor generator, like a little Honda generator thing mm-hmm. to make the TV go. But the noise from the generator meant you couldn't hear it. And the interference from the generator meant that the picture was all over the place as well. So it was just like what mad thing. And he, he'd done some filming and he asked me to do the the themes, you know, the, the music for it. And he'd done, done some filming and he left it in the back of his car with all his cameras and everything. And it got stolen. So that was the end of that. But I'd all, already recorded all this stuff on a four track. Bill Drummond, in fact, bought me a TIAC four track to do it. You know, he sort of, as, as kind of like an advance, you know, it was like he, he did some sort of deal with, um, I think it was Rough Trade, and we got like 1,500 quid to buy this four track. And I, I made this soundtrack thing on it, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And like when I hear it now, I think, how the hell did I do that on a four track with no equipment? I, I, I had a little Casio keyboard. I um, borrowed a couple of things. I borrowed Teardrop Explodes uh, that, they had a, a string synthesizer, like a um, Roland string synthesizer. They, they'd just sort of been invented. So it was kind of like a Mellotron, but uh-huh. a bit cheaper, really. Not as cool as a Mellotron. And then I had some other little bits of Bob, some like little um, dingly bells and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, junk, really, you know. And I, I think I borrowed Les's bass and I had some effects. And I just created these things and uh, made them into... Um, you know, soundtrack stuff. Yeah. It, it's sort of become like a bit of a culty thing, really. You know, yeah. and like people like Moby like it, and mm-hmm. the bloke over it, Master Morris. A lot of the sort of the dance heads that came yeah. and the ambient dance stuff, they liked it. You know, and, and you know, a couple of people did remixes and things like that, and yeah, you know, bits of it. So I like it a lot. I uh, I just discovered it this week. And um, it's a really, it's, it reminds me of all the hallmarks you just mentioned, craft work and things like that, Eno and everybody. But it's a really nice, you know, you're not going to play it to like pep yourself up for a football game, but you might, you, you play. Well, the film was very dark. You know, the film was very dark. Yeah. It was this strange character and, you know, he worked in a razor blade shop and in factory. Wow. <laughs> you know, and he'd actually done some filming, you know, oh. and there was an actor called Nick Frost. Not yeah. the one that, not, oh, not him. Not the you know, new one. He sort of became a bit of an actor. You know, he became like kind of well-known, this lad. You know, after all this, all his stock got robbed and his cameras and everything, he never went back to doing it. Uh, you know. And uh, uh, yeah, have you heard of Mr. Bean? Yeah. <laughs> heard of Mr. Bean? No, of course, yes. Rowan Atkinson, yeah. yeah. You know what? It wasn't a million miles away from Mr. Bean. Really? Yeah. You know, like, he was like a character that just couldn't deal with, the world or was like outside and outside uh-huh. of the world, you know, and it was like, I was thinking about it. It's like, it's Mr. Bean, but without the comedy and the slapstick and everything, it was like a dark Mr. Bean. Uh, that sounds <laughs> genius. <laughs> that sounds genius. Yeah, it was well before Mr. Bean. Yeah. Yeah. I could see yeah. that. Um, okay. I, one of my favorite Echo and the Buddy Man songs is Evergreen.
curious what the story behind evergreen is if there is well, you're gonna start asking me questions about you know the songs and it's like i don't do the lyrics mac does uh, the lyrics uh-huh. so and anything that the songs are about only really he knows you know okay i i was like more the music side of things you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. so i don't really have a clue what any of them are about <laughs> you know really yeah, well, well and I'm not up. much of a lyric guy either, to be honest, but that song has such a great vibe and um, the chorus is fantastic. It's It sounds kind of psychedelic, like you guys like to get sometimes. Yeah, I just remember, I wondered if there was any story about the creation of it. We were in a, a studio in London, on the outskirts of London somewhere. I know Oasis were in the studio next door at the time wow. and they, they sang on, it's nothing that's forever on that one. Oh, I can't remember. I want it now. I want it now. Not the promises of what tomorrow brings. I need to live in dreams today. I'm tired of the song that sorrow sings. And I want more than I can get Just trying to, trying to, trying to forget I'd walk to you through rings of fire And never let you know the way I feel Under skin is where I hide it always gets me on my knees Then I want more Than I can get Just trying to Trying to Trying to forget Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever Nothing ever lasts forever. I'm, I haven't got any of these records. You know what I mean? Really? I just, I don't you don't listen to your own records very often? Ever. Oh, okay. Nothing lasts, kind of yeah, way. nothing lasts forever. Yeah, that's on there. Yeah, well, well it was this studio, something like the dairy or the farmyard or the farmhouse or something. I know Oasis were there doing one of their records and they, they did some, uh, you know, uh, they did some backing vocals. Uh, wow. Basically, yeah, yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> so, right. But we okay. went into that, you know, they just finished mixing their record and they played it. They had a, they had a PA in the in the, the control room. It wasn't <laughs> like just speakers. They had a load of PA in there. It's like uh-huh. blast. So loud. And they, it was during the time, like, they were, like, 
super, you know, flavor of the month. And the studio was full of free equipment that they've been given, mm. like all of it, you know. Like we've yeah. had a bit of free equipment years, but nothing like that. Yeah, tons and tons of stuff, you know, that sure. you know, company buys and guitars and giving them. We've gone on with them all right. Okay. Yeah, you've probably rubbed shoulders with those guys a few times. Have you yeah. ever what when you have conversations with Noel Gallagher, is it around guitar techie stuff? Is it around bands you like? Do you get high together? What do you do? I don't it's not that close. Oh, okay. <laughs> You know, hanging out with Noel Gallagher. I've seen him a couple of times, and we've done a couple of gigs where he's been involved in some charity thing, and we've done it. You know, he's asked us to do it, and we've done it. But I'm not really, you know, I've spoken to him a couple of words. That's about okay. it. Really. Okay. Help at all. You know, that's about it, really. Okay. I would think he would love you. I don't know. Oh, he probably the, does. Likes the okay. Beatles. I wanted to ask you about another song, specifically another album, because I think my favorite Echo and the Bunnymen album is Meteorites, which I know is not... A... Uh-oh. What does that mean? That's not one of my favorites, put it that way. Really? So I had on youth my... on... I talked to youth uh, a few months ago on here, and I love everything he does. And that album, maybe that's why I like it, is because it's a mix of you guys who I love and his production work who I love. So this is fascinating to me. You don't love that album. Why not? I'm hardly on it. I did two days with Youth, and then Youth mixed it, and it was just, I don't know, it wasn't my cup of tea. That's all. Huh. I didn't like it. Youth either. Probably you didn't like Youth either? <laughs> not really, no. Really? <laughs> okay. Okay. It's fascinating. Uh, my Another one of my favorite Echo and the Bunnymen songs is Market Town. I can't sit still with that one. You probably, you look like you don't even know what I'm talking about. I, I, I know the name. Oh. Well, I, I can't say that I've, I would know how to play it. Okay. Well, it's very dancey. It's very much a youth. That's what, that was going to be my question. It feels like something, a song that you maybe had the bones to that you brought the youth and he went yeah. and made it into his own thing for All seven like or eight minutes. Max, 
Maxwell, all that. Like, okay. All that. Okay. I'm more, yeah, the first four or five albums. Yeah. You know, Evergreen, yeah, and Siberia, Flowers. After that, Max kind of taken over, really. Okay. And then okay. I'm just like brought in to do bits. Okay. All right. Then I want to ask, I'll ask you about a Siberia song, Sideways 8. Do you remember that at all? played it since we recorded it wow yeah i yeah. played it live i don't know I okay remember. okay well let's move past that then i'm curious so what's the nature of your partnership with mac these days how do you guys keep it going you know he's a prickly personality you know this but yet you're his closest compadre how does how did you find what's your dynamic it doesn't exist oh really like, I haven't seen him for over a year or spoke to him more. Last time I saw him was when we played in wherever it was we played last, God knows. Uh-huh. Somewhere in yeah, we're not like on the phone to each other going, oh, have you heard this or have you heard that? He, he, likes, he's a, he likes different stuff to me. You know, uh-huh. he's not, not the same. We're not, yeah. We are completely opposite people. Huh. I, guess, I guess I could see that. He is, and I think that's probably why it works. I wondered about that because he's obviously so comfortable as a front man. I mean, he's a famous front man, outspoken, yeah. you know, arrogant, all the things you want from a great front man. And you are so, seem to be so content sitting in the back, in the shadows, playing your guitar, yeah. doing your thing. Yeah, I like being in the shadows and stuff, but I wouldn't say it was a con- I was content. Oh. oh. I'd, I'd like to be more involved in the records than I am. Really? Yeah. Huh. I've got loads of songs, you know, that are like virtually finished, just need vocals. But um, you won't listen to them. I thought that was the whole dynamic of your relationship. Uh, no, not really. Huh. I like Session Man now. Oh. Just put you on the cover of the, of the albums to keep the, yeah. you know, appearances up? Yeah, it's kind of like that, really. Oh, shoot. Well, you know, the, doing the gigs, I love doing the gigs, you know, and we generally play the first four albums. That was, uh, you know, it's funny. I came prepared to ask you about all these Latter-day albums because I'm thinking Will's probably so sick of talking about those first four albums. I want him to know that I love everything. And so I'm cherry picking my favorite tunes, you know, from the later stuff. But it sounds like, I don't know. It, it, I almost get the impression that it sounds like the last 
20 years, 25 years or so has been more of like a business arrangement, which is fine. I mean, that's where people make their money now. That's where legacy artists like you can remain vibrant because you're not going to make a lot of money making new records. So you got to get out there in front of people. To me, making your records, I think it's completely pointless. Uh-huh. But yeah, I still like making music and it's just a weird world we're in now. It's just so odd. I remember like we did, we did a, a show in, it was in Istanbul uh, in Turkey. And it was put on by a company that were doing street, you know, like downloading music and streaming and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I was press ganged into doing an interview with these people. It's like they were kind of promoting the show, you know, this new thing, you know, downloading or whatever, streaming. And uh, <laughs> the girl said to me, she was all like dead excited and, oh, so why do you think, you know, isn't it great, this new streaming service? And I said, it's it's reduced the value of music to that of toilet paper. It really has. Yeah, it really I'm has. Very happy because these are the people that were like basically paying us to do this gig. <laughs> right. So, like, what's the hell? You know, it's, I think all the bands and all the artists, all the singers, everybody should get together and do some sort of boycott. Uh, like, I'm not putting any of my solo stuff on any of these streaming things. There's one album. But I'm not putting any of them on there. I know, like, nobody's, like, going to be bothered. Oh, yeah, well, that's good. You know, they're not asked. But I just think it's the biggest con. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I remember punk when punk rock came along, one thing that it did do, it changed the, you know, the record contracts from uh, returnable to recoupable. Mm. So, you know, once you got your advance to make your record, you had to uh, pay it back. But you could only pay it back by selling the record. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the, the old days, if you if you didn't sell, you had to give them the money back. Yeah, they were in the shit, you know. Yeah, but it, it's gone. It's worse than that now. It's like the record companies are making money on these streaming services, and the bands aren't. Yeah, you know, what is it like? Something on the, you know, uh, Gary Newman down that million people listen to our friends Electric or something, and he got thirty quid. Yeah, that's about how it works. Yeah. It's, it's just rubbish. It is. That's, it is. You know, we used to get 30 quid from one one play on the radio. Yeah. Oh, split between all of us and everything. But that's how much it kind of was. You know, radio, when we used to get played on Radio One that was years ago. Yeah. So, you know, it's not know. like, about, it's not, it's not just all about the money. It's like, it's also, it stops people wanting to make a record mm-hmm. because all they want to make is singles, hits. So they don't make an album. Like to me, like I've got thousands of them, you know. And to me, it's like you play the album from start to finish. I'm not a, I'm not a teenager that's got like no extension span and is on a phone flicking from track yeah. to track of 10 seconds of that and 10 seconds of the other. It, it's moronic. You know, you can't get into a band or an album unless you played the whole thing. Yeah. You know, so like in the future, there's not going to be any Dark Side of the Moon mm-hmm. or you know, concept albums or albums where every track is great, you know, Fleetwood Mac rumors or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not going to exist because people are just going to be doing a single thinking, oh, well, that'll sell on Spotify or that'll get downloaded a billion times or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, you look at it, you look at our, our stats, it's always just Killing Moon that gets downloaded and played, you know, because, but, you know, there's all this, like you said before, there's like Sugar, etc. There's like other songs. Yeah. It just seems to be like, the labels have shafted all the artists because they they're getting you know they're getting like a fair whack 
it's not right. Yeah, um, it's just, you know, been a big thing on it uh, over here on the, you know, on the um, like questions have been asked in Parliament and all that stuff. Mm. You know, whether that's going to do anything. Yeah, but there's a lot of people, you know, without making albums, there'd be no perfect day by Lou Reed. You know, no. yeah, you know, it was just I an know. album track. Well, there'd be no ocean rain. There'd be no. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, there'd be no, there'd be no porcupine. It's it's so concerning to me. Yeah. And so I've said it like life's gone that way. And it's kind of, it's just rubbish the way it's so disposable now. Yeah. You know? Oh, there's a little bit, there's a, a cat falling off a wall. <laughs> well, I haven't got enough space on my phone. I'll, I'll delete all the my Radiohead album stuff and have yeah. this little crappy video of a cat. It's just like, oh, get on. I know. I know it's true. I always liken it to a giant faucet that's constantly running water out of it. And you guys and every other artist anywhere are just, you know, they're, you're being poured out of this giant faucet along with every other creative endeavor in the world. And yeah. you have to hope that somebody is putting a little think, cup under I, there right at that moment. I think there's something in everybody getting together and saying, look, fuck you, we're not doing it. Yeah. And I, I don't remember signing any deals where it sort of said, uh, like, what well, they did have it covered. They sort of said future media, any future media. But I don't remember any sort of figures being, you know, percentages and stuff like that in these contracts. Yeah. So how the hell did we get 0.0001% of a penny when, you know? Yeah, it's wrong. It's, um, it's crap. It is. The last time I've seen Echo three times in concert. The first time was at the Fillmore in San Francisco in the early 2000s, and it was with the Psychedelic Furs, which was a perfect okay. double bill. And then yeah, um, I saw you guys probably five or six years ago here in Denver, just on your own. That was one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. I got actually really emotional a few times. I remember so often you guys would be playing something and I just thought, I am so, these songs mean so much to me. And I don't feel that way at concerts very often, but it was just a perfect night of your music. And then the third time was also a couple of years ago, and it was you guys in the Violent Femmes, which oh, yeah. I love both of you so much, but it was such an odd pairing. That's why we liked it. We liked the fact that they, you know, we were sort of in the same ballpark-ish, uh -huh. but they had their own fans and we had our fans. The idea was like the biggest, some out of their, their group of fans, some out of our group of fans would maybe like think, oh yeah, they're good. You know what I mean? It made the whole thing a bit more, you know, appealing, really. Yeah. And they're great lads. You know, we got on with them really good. We like, you know, we like them. I used yeah. to go and see when I was, you know, twenty. Uh -huh. I'd go him and um, went. We went to Birmingham to see him. You know, two hundred mile round trip. Really? So did go and you know, I loved that first album and yeah, you know. Gone, Daddy Gone, and all that stuff. Uh huh. I used to love the way he used to come out with his drum. Uh huh. That you know, used to come out and drum through the crowd, and they'd all be following. Like you know, it's great. Yeah, I just had him on here, Victor DiLorenzo. I had him on here last year. We did an interview just like this. Yeah, I love those guys too. And I just thought um, that's really, I guess, when COVID goes away, will is that what you're sort of? Is that your job from here on out? Is to, you're, it sounds like you're not that involved in the new records whenever they come out, so it's you and Mac on the road, on tours uh, with whoever. Who knows what's going to happen? Mm. 
you know, it's I'm sick of speculating over it. It's you know. I wanted to ask you too about the '90s because, you know, when you guys break up, Mac decides to go solo, and you put out Reverberation, and which I actually think is a really strong album. You take off Port Knoll, you know, he could not win in that situation. A lot of it was done with like a sort of because Mac left after 10 years of us working on stuff and doing all the gigs and it, we were like we felt pissed off mm-hmm. it was like he thought he was just going to go away and take all the glory and all that mm-hmm. and it was like not you know on me you know uh-huh. it was the record label really that said get another singer because really? we just thought it was yeah and it was a bloke at the record label that I was speaking to him and he went just get another singer and I thought that work and like you know i didn't think it'd work and but well, we started doing it and we did it and it was a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> well it... you know we we, we enjoyed when we were doing it we enjoyed it you know yeah we, you know i enjoyed doing that record and all that i like that but, record a lot gone 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 is such a strong song right out of the gate and it sounds so good with you i mean you put Again, nothing against Noel. He did the very best he could in that situation, but you put Max yeah. vo- vocals on that, and that's one of your stronger albums. I like Reverberation a lot. Yeah, I know. Well, yeah. <laughs> so my question, though, is that, you know, Reverberation, he goes, Mac, there's supposedly a, you know, a split. Everyone's mad at yeah. each other. But if I, you have a songwriting credit, I think you work with Mac a little bit on the Mysterio album. And then you guys come together for Electra, Electra Fiction.
So it wasn't, you weren't apart that long, right? What is the nature, what is going on in the 90s with you guys? Well, you know, like I say, we did a couple of tours with Noel and I. Um, it was just like, just going down and down. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just depressing, really. You know, at the end, it was like, what the... and then my wife got pregnant. Oh. And it was like, shit, I've got no money. Mm. What am I going to do? So, you know, I had to do something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that comes first. Yeah. Okay. And so it was back to partnership with Mac. What is the electrofiction? What was well, that? Do the bunny man straight away. And they didn't want to do it. So we just thought, we'll see how we get on with this, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I enjoyed the electrofiction stuff. I did too. That's another great album. But well, we ended up like doing more Bunnyman songs than Electrofiction songs in the set. So it was, it was just silly. Yeah. You know, it was just all Bunnyman fans and all they wanted to hear was Bunnyman songs. Of course. So yeah. It just, it, it just seemed to be confusing everything, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Got Les back in. And we did um, Evergreen. Yeah. The, the, the car on the cover of the Evergreen album, is that a nod yeah. to Pete? Being killed by a on a in on his bike in a car accident. No, no. no. I was always a, I always told that's what it was. No, <clears throat> no. Like, no, that was just like we did a video in in Marrakesh, and we had, we we all liked them cars. You know, the Citroen DS, whatever they call yeah. it. Yeah, we just hired this car to get in the video. Oh, got the Bell P cover as well. <laughs> yeah i was always i read somewhere what's that i've never, I've never heard that at all i read that but, somewhere ages ago that the car was meant to it was like to pay respect to free pete is no longer here he died getting hit by a car so this car represents pete that's what i had always heard never read a lot one wow <laughs> <laughs> that's great that's great yeah you know, that's not our style that's kind of why i asked i thought you know you know that's not that doesn't seem like it okay then speaking of songs that may or things that may or may not be true villiers terrace has always been sort of seen as like a drug song you know
sounds like the squat where you guys and all your friends are totally strung out, mixing up the medicine, but that's where you guys go to get high, do the drugs, make the music, be in your communal space. Is that what that song's about? Another one you'd have to ask Mask, what Mac, what that's about. So he'll okay. probably say every week. I, <laughs> um, I think the bit people rolling around on the carpet, biting wool and pulling string. I think he had some, some reference to when Hitler had some sort of freak out and was rolling around. I don't <laughs> okay. know. I don't know. Okay. But it's, uh, it's you know, we, I was never strung out. I've never been strung out in my life. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, no. Okay. Okay. Okay, then let's go back to the earlier records for a minute. I, I know that everyone loves Ocean Rain, and it, and it is great, but to me, I feel like more you guys really became you on Porcupine, which I know is a difficult record. Ian Broody, when he comes along and he produces some of it, is he the one that's sort of introducing the strings and the Shankar song, sound? And Because that, to me, really opened you guys up. That's when Echo becomes the Echo that we know and love. It's on the Porcupine album. But no, that wasn't him. Uh, uh, the Shankar stuff was... We, we played Womad. I suppose there was a lot of kind of like world music influence. So um, we went to see, me and Bill Drum, we were in New York, and me and Bill Drum went to see this uh, manager geezer. His name was Steve Israel, I think. He played us this, showed us this thing, this lad, Shankar, mm. played that he was like a young lad, and he had like this double neck violin. He could play sort of on both sides of the, the two neck, you know, some, he'd like do a drone on one and then like, and he had it all through effects and stuff like that, you know. Mm -hmm. I said to Bill, we've got to get him on the album, he's brilliant. And that's where it sort of stemmed from. And he'd say anything to Bill Drummond, like even if it's just half in jest, next thing, next day he's organised it. He's, <laughs> he's just brilliant at organising stuff and getting stuff yeah. done. Uh -huh. Yeah, without him, we would never have got anything done, really, you know. Pretty, yeah, we, he'd organised us doing a John Peel session to make us get ready with our songs, you know, we'd have to have like four or five songs ready. Shit, we're doing a jump bill session next week, we better get these things together, like, you know. Mm -hmm. So the Shankar thing was that, and we, when we came back, we got him, he was in London. He just happened to be in London, I think. And uh, we got him in and on the cutter, and I said to him, I was fascinated by the song Matthew and Son at the time. Yeah, you know I love it? that song. My favorite Cat Stevens song.
hand off the rip. It's like on the, on the end ring, it says Matthew and Son three, about three or four times. Mm-hmm. And there's only one of them that's got reverb on. That's like the big reverb one. And then back to the normal dry one. I love that. You know, it's like a little kind of odd little thing in there. Yeah. Anyway, so I said to him, can you do, you know, the song Matthew and Son? He said, yeah. I said, can you do like a psychedelic version of Matthew and Son? And that's where it's like, Matthew and Son. That's so funny. Those songs have reminded me of each other my whole life. And I didn't know that they were truly connected. I thought it was just me. That is great. Like kind of trippy version of Matthew and Son. That was nice. And then I had a flat at the time with Ian Brody. And a report came back from Liverpool that someone had broken into the flat. And I had all my four track and guitars and a few bits and bobs in the flat. So I went home on the train from London to make sure everything was all right and sort of board up the window and be smashed. And, uh-huh. you know, make, and uh, then when I came back, you know, that bit in the guitar that goes, spare us the cut. Yeah. Brody had done that. Really? And I still don't know how he did it. <laughs> so I, when I do it, I'm just trying to trying to do like a kind of a version of what he did. Yeah. I'm not really sure he did it. I've never asked him. Fascinating. So I did the other bits, but he did that bit. You know, yeah. Everybody was really. I love that. I love that story. No way. Okay. Let me. Oh, I want to ask. Um, you know, uh, I think. A lot is made of comparing Echo with The Doors, and maybe that's easy to do because Mac and Jim sort of sound a little bit alike, and you guys covered People Are Strange. And I've always been curious, is were The Doors really truly a, you know, an influence or an inspiration for you guys, or is that just something people say and it won't quite go away? No, well, the, the whole Doors thing started, my brother had strange days. And, and I stayed at his house in like about 1971 or something like that. You know, it was only like probably about 14 or 15 or something like that. And I stayed with my brother and he had strange days and I'd never heard of him. Like this is like, you know, Jim Morrison died in 1970, didn't they, I think? So they weren't even like that. I, think, I don't even think they were that. They weren't that old. But to me, as a kid, they were like a band from like decades. You know, they seemed like a, a really old band. And I loved that album, Strange Days. And, you know, when I listened to it, it's flat. He had like a flat, like a kind of hippie kind of flat thing in London with some of the lads. You know, it was like I was from this village outside Liverpool. So, mm-hmm. you know, going to London and that, it was like a big deal, you know. So I loved The Doors. And after I heard Strange Days, I started buying all The Doors records and I ended up with all of them. And when Punk came along, The Doors were kind of out the window. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to know about the doors, you know. And the others in the band, you know, Blairs and Mac didn't like them. They weren't mm-hmm. interested in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's only because I played them to death in the van, you know, on cassettes and stuff mm-hmm. when we were going to gigs that I think they got to, got used to them more than liked them, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, and when, when they wanted us to do uh, People Are Strange... Mac didn't want to do it at all. Places look ugly when you're alone. Women seem wicked when you're unwanted. Streets are under when you're down, when you're strange. Faces come out of the rain. 
Like a phone back up and sweet talking round, like you know, and all of a sudden we wanted to do it, so we did it. <laughs> and Ray Manzarek um, produced it and showed me how to play the guitar a bit and all that. But you know, it's nowhere near as good as by Robbie Krieger. You know, it's, it's I don't Robbie. know. Your cover is just about as good, not better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not in my eyes. Okay, I think it's pretty great. Yeah, like um, all the. All the rest of them are great, but I'm just talking about my guitar bits now. Okay. Like, you know, I did a okay. and everybody. And Ray Manzarek did brilliant keyboard work. Yeah, so all that great piano on there, that's Ray. That's the actual guy. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Classic song. Okay, let me see here. I wanted to ask about... He played with us live. Well, Ray he did? played with us. Yeah, and he played on Bed, Books and Ballyhoo as well on the album. Let's wheel the thunder rumbles. Played on that song? Wow. That sounds like a song that he should play on, but I didn't know he actually did it. That's fantastic. Yeah, 
Wow. Yeah. That's great. I wanted to ask specifically Ocean Rain. Um, what was what's the cover photo? Could you tell me the the story of creating the cover? Have you had of Stiff Records? Mm-hmm. Like you know, uh, Ian Jewelry and you know, I think I'll tell this just tell one of them at the very beginning. At the beginning, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a bloke called Jake Riviera, and he's the head of Stiff Records, mm-hmm. and he, he had this house in Cornwall. In his garden, there was an old mine, like an old, uh, I think it was a slate mine. Just happened to be in his garden, like, you know, he had a fancy house with a big garden and that. Mm -hmm. And it it had this um, sort of like a cave, but it was an old slate mine, really. And somehow, I think our photographer, this bloke called Brian Griffin, he knew knew Jake Riviera, because probably worked for him, and he knew about this place. And we'd done, like, We've done the, the woods with crocodiles. We've done the beach mm-hmm. with heaven up here. We've done ice in Iceland, along mm. there, and Goldfoss in, in Iceland. And we were looking for some, and what's next, you know? Desert, whatever, you know, who knows mm-hmm. what. And he, he said, well, what about this cave, you know? And there, between Bill Drummond, I think Rob Dickens knew about it. He was, he was like part of the, um, the, the record label. He was like an RA and R man. And he knew Jay Riviera as well and knew about this cave. And we just, they went down and they recceed it. And they thought, yeah, let's get them down here in the cave and take the picture in the cave. That's great. So, <laughs> it's such a beautiful photos. shade of blue. Was that lighting? Was well, that they, enhanced yeah, they afterwards? Had, they had lights in there. They had some lights. They didn't have a lot of lights. They had a, you know, they had a few lights. Like on, on crocodiles, they had, you know, loads of lights all lighting up the trees. Mm-hmm. I remember, like, when we drove away, looking back and all these beams of light were coming out of the trees. It was, like, kind of misty. Mm-hmm. It looked amazing. You know, it looked oh. fantastic. Sounds like it. Yeah. Huh. Uh, that was that was uh, done in that cave. And uh, we went down there, stayed there in this hotel. I mean, we only did, like, one or two days, I think. And we did some other photos around uh, somewhere else. Yeah, okay. yeah, we did the one on the boat, and then we did some on like a sort of shaley kind of bank that was on, you know, the cover of silver. Okay. Mm-hmm. Brian Mac Griffin. always, what's that? Brian Griffin, the photographer. That's him. brilliant. Okay. Mac always refers to Ocean Rain as, you know, a masterpiece and one of the best albums ever, and it certainly is up there. Do you feel that way? Do you think uh, Killing Moon is the best song ever? Do you have your own personal favorites? It's it's definitely a great song, <laughs> you know. It's yeah. like, you know, it's brilliant, you know. And I love yeah. all my bits in it and playing it and all that. But I don't really think think of it like, oh, I like that one better than that one, or mm. the same ones I don't like, you know. But then there's other ones that they, they all they all seem kind of equal to me, you know. I'm not okay. like, you know, I I can accept something that isn't poppy. Mm. Yeah, you know, my my mind is capable of enjoying something that isn't that catchy <laughs> you know so like a lot of a lot of the songs you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, uh, maybe not singles and stuff like that right speaking of which i in getting ready to talk to you i was reading up on all of your albums and everything and i read somewhere that heaven up here is sort of viewed as your album like that was one that you felt strongly oh, about yeah heaven up here was sort of you were like the driving force, no? Uh, well, yeah, but, you know, at the beginning, I, it was like loads of my ideas, you know, it's, 
you know, crocodiles, all that stuff, you know, ever up here, porcupine. I don't, I've never thought of it like that. Like, that's Mac, that Mac, Mac kind of always used to say it was my album, but mm. they were all my album and they were mm. all his album, they're all Les's album, they're all Pete's album. You know, yeah. that's almost like a reverse compliment. Oh, <laughs> one where I'm having the rest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, the reason I ask is you were talking about kind of deeper tracks, and one of my favorites of yours is No Dark Things on that album. I think you sound so incredible on that song. times you know and uh, i love that sort of just letting letting your mind just do it without thinking mm-hmm. it's got to be in time or anything like that it's just mad stuff yeah and i was trying to do that really you know kind of emulate him but the riff was almost like do you know lucifer sam by pink floyd i mean i've heard it i don't remember it off the top of my head the best album it was a bit like that you know it's okay. kind of like a like I do a lot of things where I like I'll, one of the strings will be a drone, you know, and I'll play around it, but just have this other string just droning away. I do that quite a lot. And that was kind of one of them. Okay. I brought this up on our Facebook page, the podcast Facebook page this week. I think you're up there as one of the best guitarists ever, certainly one of the most important guitarists of the alter, of alternative rock. In fact, I, I did a countdown. <laughs> I decided who were my top five favorite guitarists of alternative rock. And I had Johnny Marr at one, Peter Buck at two. I thought The Edge probably deserved number three. I had you at four, and I had Charlie Burchill at five. And I put it out there just for fodder for my listeners to kind of, well, what you forgot this guy, and what about that guy, and stuff like that. I get the impression that Echo and the Bunnymen kind of works in its own world, that that um, you might even have like disdain for bands like U2 or Simple Minds that got too big or tried to conquer America or got played too much on pop radio. Do I? Would you agree with that? Is that right? I think um, when we were younger, not now, mm. I don't have any disdain for anybody now. Hmm. I think you two worked a lot harder than us. You know, they got what they deserved because they worked hard. And I, t- I 
like I met Bono not long back and I told him that because um, there was like uh, a lot of bad vibes going on, you know. But, you know, I know that they liked us. You know, they liked the quarter anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, Adam's quite friendly with Les, you know. Oh. I've got no disdain for them. And, you know, Johnny Moore, he's one of my friends now. I've been over to his little studio and, you know, talk guitars and had a go yeah. on some of us and all that stuff. He's yeah. nice, but really. He's great. And his solo albums are fantastic. I'm so glad yeah. he's sort of stepped out in front. He should yeah. have done it all along. He's great. It's brilliant what he's done. Yeah. One thing I was reading and getting ready to talk to you was, I got the impression that you, when you were watching bands like U2 and Simple Minds really try to take America, you guys decided to, it seems like, almost retreat. Yeah. Not that you stopped touring America, but it was like, you know what, if it takes that much work to break that country, I'm not, we're not interested. We don't need that. No, we're I, good enough I, in Europe. Come the end when Matt left, we were doing like 10,000 seat places. And it was like every time we went back, we were doing bigger places. And it was like, I always imagine it was like a, a snowball going down a mountain and it was gathering snow and there's no stopping it. It was like that. It felt like that. I remember going out. We were at, we were at I think it was the Greek Theatre in Los Angeles, somewhere like that. And me, Les and Pete and Jay, we were, we were wandering out around in the crowd. Nobody knew who the hell we were. Mm. You know what I mean? They only knew Mac. Wow. And I was thinking, I want this, really. But it just felt weird, you know, it felt like it was stopping being a band. Did you guys turn down Live Aid? No, they never asked us. They never asked? Yeah, I wondered. I, I mean, I can understand. We were kind of seen as the bullshit girl, we don't want that, you know, because like, you know, all the stuff said in the press and that, you know. Like I remember they said said to me, would would you have done Live Aid? I said, if they'd have asked us, they'd been telling them. I don't think we're too happy to tell them no. Uh, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. But who knows? If they'd have asked us, you know, we would have had a lot of pressure to do it, I suppose. We probably would have done it, but they didn't ask us. Okay. Curious about that. I had a question about Bring on the Dancing Horses. The, on the reissue of the self-titled album that, I, that came out in the early 2000s, I have all those reissues. And there's an excellent demo version of horses called Jimmy Brown. I wondered if that song, in whatever form, was lingering around during the ocean rain days and just left off the album, or was it not completed? 
and or you know what's the story of that one being a, a standalone single i don't exactly remember how it, how it came about but we went we went over to a, a studio in brussels called ipc we did it there hmm. with a bloke called was it Larry latham who did it i and believe did, so yeah it sounds like a lot of it sounds like program synthesizer and stuff doesn't it hmm. but it's not it's guitar hmm. it's all guitar hmm. All them like da, 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 and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's guitar through gates. So you have like a there's like a thing in you know in studios called a gate. Yeah. And it will let so much sound else cut off. Yeah. So you can trick with a drum. So you hit a drum and it'll open the gate, let the sound through, and then cut off. So you connect it to say the hi hat. So it's opening and closing the gate, let the sound through. So you get like so I do a chord, jing. There goes ding 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 you know like that sort of it's gated guitar no synthesizers on it wow there's some I think there might be some emulator okay emulate the emulator which was like a sampling keyboard had just been invented and I think we were like what I think we were the first people in Britain to have one yeah it's an American thing and New Order have one they did like Blue Monday on it you know uh-huh we used it for string sounds mainly to emulate string sounds, you know, because we, we liked, you know, we liked Love and, you know, Scott Walker, people like that, you know, that did all the big string arrangements and that. We loved all that stuff, you know, Jack Rell. So we were trying to get a flavor of that. So we that's why we went down, like, you know, with string sounds. And this bloke called Adam Peters, he was just a young lad at the Royal Academy of Music and he was a cello player. And Bill Drummond was managing a band called the Ravishing Beauties and it was some girls and they were all kind of proper musos, you know, like violins and all that. And they, they'd been asked to come and do some stuff on one of our records because Bill, Bill Drummond knew them. And they just said to Adam, I'm going to go do this thing with the Bunnymen. Do you want to come along? And he came along and he became like almost like another Bunnyman. You know, he did loads. He did all the ocean arrangements. And he played on um, Back of Love, and then he played on uh, Never Stop as well. Did all that, all that cello stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's brilliant. I'm still mm-hmm. friends with him. I, I was in Los Angeles in 2019, and uh, <laughs> helped him on a soundtrack record that he was doing. Mm-hmm. He tracks in LA and that now, you know. And he's quite sort of up there, you know. He does a lot of work. Sound City. Yeah. Yes, the famous Sound City. I want to ask you about Back of Love because that's another one of my favorite songs of yours. I'm on the chopping block, chopping up my stopping thoughts. Self doubt and selfism were the cheapest things I ever bought. When you said to love, to the back of love, when you said to love, Easier said than done. 
and it's different. It's first of all, Pete is amazing. I'm just imagine that's such a Pete showcase, yeah. if you ask me. And it yeah. it sounds like there might be horns on it, but I don't know if I don't know if they're actual horns or just sound sounds that are made to sound like horns or what. No, that's Adam. Is it? It's a cello. Okay. <laughs> All that. It's 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 a couple of cellos in different registers, you know, like layered up. Yeah, I don't think there's any horns on it. The record company hated it. <laughs> I think it's great. I love it. And they liked it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Bill Drum didn't like it either. <laughs> but I think he, it's he so different. He, one day he hated it, and then the next day he came in and he liked it. <laughs> it's it's one of them, isn't it? You don't know. You know, certain days you like things, and other days you don't. You love them. You know, you hate yeah. them. Huh. And so, okay. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about one of my other, maybe my favorite Echo and the Bunnymen song. Can I just say something about the way Pete played the drums please. on that? Yeah, please. Like, he does this weird thing where he plays the tom-tom. Like, he's playing the snare there. But normally you play a tom-tom on this hand, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's, he does it with this this hand. So he's like, and he's hitting this tom-tom with this hand. It's dead, like, counterintuitive the way he's oh. doing it weird you know you watch yes, him doing it that doesn't look right he should be doing it like that you know like uh-huh. bottom or something but he's doing it like this weird over his arm kind of way you know dead awkward really like you know i'm still getting the power on there as well uh-huh. that's the other thing still getting that hit onto the drum that you have to hit some quite hard to get the the tone and everything i've never known anybody drum like peter freitas he'd go on like we were always trying to not be like other groups. That was like one of our things, you know, like we'd wear suits on stage and stuff like people didn't do that, you know, like except, you know, years ago with the Beatles or whatever, but I beat him drunk with a suit on, you know, he had this blue suit that he used to wear and he'd come off stage. It'd be absolutely soaking wet with sweat. I, I've never seen anybody so wet and sweaty through physical exercise in my life. And it would just be like, fucking hell. And I'd like, <laughs> I just stand in there looking at my boots. I'll <laughs> be doing anything. Right. I'd have used to sweat. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, the power and, you know, the just the, the drive of him doing it. It's yeah. just a power station of a man. Where were you when you found out that he had been killed? Here. It, at home? A phone call. You know, it's just like, what? Yeah. And then press people started phoning us up. I'm like, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, give me a minute to process. I don't want to talk about this. It was just weird. And, you know, Jake, our keyboard player that was in, not really in the band, but he was sort of in the band. He got killed on a motorbike as well. Same. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Where somebody, um, basically both of the accidents were not, their fault. It was uh, a car driver uh-huh. that came onto them, you know, across a road they shouldn't have been going across. So it's very similar accidents. It's what, for about 20 years apart. It's kind of wow. weird. Uh, Pete had a brand new baby too when he died, right? Yeah. So sad. For the self titled album, you guys took, after Ocean Rain, I believe you guys took like a year off. Was that because you needed space from each other? I, I don't yeah. mind the the self-titled album, but it's not in the same league. 
exactly as those first four, you know? And uh, I wondered if, if you noticed while you were making it that you had sp sort of spent all your prime inspiration on everything that had come ahead. No, I mean, bad influences. Hmm. It was like we were, we got this producer in called Laurie Latham. He's a lovely man, you know, but very precise. You know, he sampled the drums and then people would be playing them and the trigger would trigger the sound of the drum. And it was just like, why you didn't want just just record the fucking drum, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it was like everything was like moved a little bit and shifted, and it was all early technology of like, you know, sampling and stuff, so they could do that, you know, a little bit. And it was all too slick and too nice, and it was just the wrong person to be involved with us, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's, like looks like sugar's good. There's some of the keyboard sounds on it, not that keen on. They're a bit sweet. Mm. You know, a bit too synthy, you know, sounded. Bed bugs is okay. I think my very my very favorite Echo in the Bunnyman song of all is Blue Blue Ocean, surprisingly. And I mean, that's not a hit that everyone knows anyway, a deeper track. Yeah. And I've always wondered, that song has one of the longest fade outs of any song ever. That That song takes a minute and a half to finish. The fade out lasts that long. And I've always wondered why. Who made that decision? Did Laurie make that decision? Probably, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I can't remember it. Huh. <laughs> and it, I've always thought it would make sense if that were the last song on the album so that people stuck around. You know, it's it's a big crescendo. We're going to take an, a minute and a half to fade out Blue Blue Ocean. But it's not. There's still two more songs afterwards. It's just an odd decision. I, I never play them, so I wouldn't know. I, huh. I, I haven't heard that since Christ knows. <laughs> More, probably. I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's got like, really you know, bright. You yeah. talk about synths. It's got bright keyboards on it. Maybe that's why it's very 80s. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Yeah. There's like that horrible 80s air sound. We, we weren't very good at doing all that, really. You know, I think uh -huh. I always wanted everything to be timeless. And some of them things are timeless. Anyway. Yeah. I would argue that Echo and the Bunny Men are absolutely timeless. I mean, those first four albums my, my hold up. My whole thing was I just wanted the band to be like a classic band, yeah. like the Stones or the Doors or the Kinks, mm -hmm. you know, or Love, you know. Yeah. You know, people start collecting records, you know, and they've got like Led Zeppelin and the Doors and. Jimi Hendrix and all that, so I wanted us to be in, in there as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether we did it, but that's what I wanted us to be. I wanted us to be like a classic thing that could be played anytime without being able to go, oh God, that's done with the 80s. You know, I mean, you know, and I think we sort of did that with most of them. Yeah, you know? I think you did too. I think that bears out. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing like Killing Moon, is there? There's nothing out there that still sounds near anything like Killing Moon, like that. that the production on that is odd. You know, we did all kinds of reverse auto harps and strange little sounds. And Adam was involved in that quite a lot as well. He did loads of the strings all over that. Mm -hmm. A lot of that is it's it's a, actually a keyboard called a Kurtz vial. That's some German keyboard and it did string sound, but it was kind of state of the art at the time. But it was a bit, you know, nice. But with Adam playing as well, with the, like a, the real rasp of the cello and that, it kind of 
brought it all in and it sounds like real strings, you know. So most of the string sounds on on Killing Moon come from the Kurzweil, not from actual strings? Yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. And then, uh, but then it's got Adam doing cello uh-huh. along, you know, in, in the mix that gives it like that edge of being real strings. So it'll do like, you know, a low register pass. And then it'll do a high register pass as well. And it'll sound like a massive orchestra and along with yeah. the thing all blended in together. Huh. I had no idea. That's fascinating. You know, on, on the album, Ocean Rain, it's all real strings. And Adam yeah. conducted it, you know. We did it in France. And Adam conducted it. And he's only a young lad at the time. He's only early 20s. And he he written out all the bits and everything. And he had to assert his authority. With all these like old French players, you know, they're like, who's this dickhead, you know, English mm-hmm. bloke, and they're nothing. Mm-hmm. I had to like slap on, you know, tap on the uh, thing and, hey, pay attention, you know what I mean? Like, you know, <laughs> yes, means business. Yeah. You know, he was like, my boss, and I lay down in amongst them all on the floor of the old carpet that was there. And I was like lay, laying down while they were doing all the string parts in the studio. I was like lying uh-huh. down on the behind them all. It's great. Oh man. Oh man. I wish I could have been in that room. I, you know, it's funny. You talk about classic albums. I have every echo in the bunny man album. I don't have every pink Floyd album or doors album or some of the other bands you mentioned. So to some of us echo in the bunny men means way more than some of those bands that you mentioned, you know, well, mission accomplished. Then. You did it. I am curious when you look back over your career, do you have a favorite memory? You're, you're such a record collector. Did you did you get to meet any of your favorite musicians? Yeah, loads. Yeah? yeah. We signed all my records. You did? Gave oh. 35 albums and 15 singles, and he signed them all. And, How um, did you meet Bowie? Tell me about this. It was, uh, we did a tour with, um, Morrissey was meant to do, to do it, and he dropped out, and we were like, Think, you know, we'll get what he will do it. Yeah, so we did this tour with him, and and he uh, just that nice, you know, really nice bloke. Spoke to him a couple of times, and you know, me and Mark, he was on, and Les, total hero, you know, where we like. So well, I met Robert Plant, he was at Rockfield Studios when we were there, mm. and he gave us a lift into Monmouth and in his car, and he was a nice bloke as well. Yeah, everyone's nice. I mentioned when the pub with Ginger Baker, really. You know, yeah, and uh, Hawkwind were around, you know. Okay. Where's Les today? What is he doing? Yeah. He lives in Melbourne. Uh, he's, he's actually going to start playing. He's talking to some lad that's talking about playing bass for him, but I'm not sure what, what's going on yet, and I can't remember the lad's name, but he was in some band in America, and he lives in Melbourne now. Hmm. I think he's going to help him out or do a bit of bass for him or something. Okay. Just for fun. Just for the yeah. fun of it. Okay. And, uh, well, Will, I'll I'll let you go. I I just I love you so much, and uh, this is one of the biggest moments of my life. I think is being able to talk to you, and so thank you for. I'm serious. I can't think <laughs> of too many people out there that I've wanted to chat with and just learn more about than you. So thank you for chatting with me. It means so much. Okay. Well, um, yeah. Um... <laughs> don't you don't have to say it. anything <laughs> yeah so yeah i don't know what 
Like, I don't think of myself as anything special as a guitarist at all. Like, you know, I just, I'm, I'm pretty crap, really. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Just uh, not... doing what I do. I, you know, but I can't play Stairway to Heaven. <laughs> I don't want <laughs> you to. I want you to play what you play. I don't, I like that better than Stairway to Heaven. All right, there you have it. Will Sargent, tell me, if you've never heard Will Sargent speak before or seen him interviewed, is this who you imagine Will Sargent to be? This sweet, humble man? I didn't. Anyway, thank you, Will, for talking with me. You are a legend. You mean the world to me. Thank you for talking with me. Getting him to come on here is like one of my proudest moments. I am so grateful. I wanted to close it out with that song Blue Blue Ocean from the self-titled album in the late 80s. Tell me this song doesn't have one of the longest fade-outs you've ever heard. It literally takes about a minute and a half for this song to fully end. So weird, but I love this song. Now, next week's guest, our, our uh, second tier, our tier two Patreon people know that we've got one of the biggest and most successful and most important producers ever uh, coming up next week. And uh, this person is also a solo artist. And to be truthful, we talk largely about the solo career and, and his approach to production, not just the people and the acts that he's worked with. But it was a life-changing conversation for me. And you are definitely going to want to hear this. Okay? So that's what we have next week. It's another huge one. Huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makevich, my right-hand man. Thank you, buddy, for everything that you do. I'm so glad we get to do this together. Folks, you can like our Facebook page. You can send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. If this is your first time listening to us, please go into the archives. If you came here for Echo and the Bunnymen, you're going to love most of the stuff that we have back in our archives because that is my sweet spot, okay? there's Believe me, there's plenty in there to love, okay? Thank you, everybody. We love you.